Good morning, everybody. I recognized this song from many years ago. And I tell you, understanding the words and sensing the spirit of the Lord is present. Jesus came so that you and I could be in the presence of God all the time, even on earth, while God is sitting up on his throne in heaven. Amen. This morning, we're taking a different route than we normally do because God is so good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Our children are going to another church to sing, so it's just a handful of us this morning. As the song said, even if it's just two or three, amen? Amen. I recall in the Bible of a husband and wife didn't, didn't know that that day when they were just alone that they were going to get a visit from God himself. And that day... The parents of the soon will be born Samson, his parents, his father Manoah, got an amazing visit from this distinguished person. And it was just absolutely incredible. You never know when God's going to show up. Amen? Amen. And I think about another man. Hiding, hiding in a threshold, but it would thrust weak because the Midianites would come in and steal all of their grain and even would kill them. And this young man was hiding. Little did he know that that night he was going to get a visit from God himself. His name is Gideon. And Gideon, being the least of his father's house, ended up being one of the greatest warriors of Israel. And when God saw him, God called him out, great man of valor. Why am I telling you all this right now? God doesn't take an army to make things happen. He takes a few. And sometimes he takes one or two. And he makes amazing things happen. Because it's not the person that's making those things happen. It's God. And we got to remember, as we're getting ready to go into the Word of God, as we're going to pray here in a moment, as Ms. Vicka continue to pray, I want you to, to, to go back in time with me. It's 2,700 years B.C. This is way back there, before Sherry Ann was born. But, but, but in either case, can you imagine 2,700 years ago, 2,700 years B.C. Israel, what it was like. The streets are dusty. There, there are no paved roads. There are no cars, no buses. None of the modern day things that we are accustomed to. Why streets 
So can you imagine you're one of God's men and the Spirit of God is about to show you something so unique. And this great man of God had already had a vision from God earlier. His name is Isaiah. In chapter 6, we see Isaiah walking in the temple of God there in Israel. And he walks in that day to do business as usual, Junior. And when he walked in, guess what he seen? Man. When Isaiah walked into the temple, he walked in and seen Jesus sitting on his throne. And yet, the Lord hadn't even come to the earth yet. What Isaiah saw was the awesome King of Kings and the Lord of Lords sitting on his future throne. And as Isaiah stood before him, he realized how holy and glorious God is. And Jesus is sitting there and the train of his robe filled the entire temple of heaven. And this man found himself in heaven while on earth because God opened it up and let him see it. And it was as if he was in the living reality of heaven and he's looking at his king. An amazing picture. Amazing words. And he saw angels flying around. Isn't that something? And those angels as they flew were shouting, holy, 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 the same words we see over in Revelation chapter 4, the same angels, Isaiah saw them. And now, some time has expired, and Isaiah once again is moved by the Spirit of God. And this time, he's looking at the linkage, the family tree of Jesse. He's looking as God brings Jesse into the picture and Jesse has sons eight of them by the way and it was the youngest son that Isaiah would see in the spirit and in the spirit he would see as Jesse's family through death through the attrition of death that clan that tribe would begin to taper off and as he sees this, as it seems like that the, the, this, this royal tribe would soon be cut off as one cut down a tree. And this is the image that he's showing us. And as he sees this, he sees these sprigs sprouting up out of the ground. He sees one that's absolutely beautiful and unique. And it's, it's growing up. All of you have cut down a tree before. Most of us have. And we've seen where I thought I cut that tree down a month ago. It's still living. Amen. Yeah. And you see that little sprig and it sprout up out of there. And out of, from that stem, which is another name for a stump. And then a branch comes. And it began to produce another tree. Amen? 
This is the image that Isaiah is being shown by the Spirit of the living God. And that sprig, that branch, is Jesus. Amen. You can go ahead and give him some because he's worried of it. And as Isaiah is looking, it, it had to be an amazing thing for this man in the spirit to see all of this. And I wonder how these prophets handled such glorious knowledge coming from God himself to them. And then as we go through the text today, you're going to see something about the Messiah because chapter 11 is all about the Messiah. It's about him coming. It's about him living the godly life here on earth and the miracles and things that he would perform. And then it tells you about him judging the nations. That's what this is all about. Christmas time is a time in which we focus on Jesus, the Son of God. It's not a time for us to focus on ourselves. It's a time to highlight Jesus. And that's what this message is going to do. It's going to, I told you all last week that we're going to build up to the day of the Christ child. So we're looking now. He's not here. It's 700 years before he would come into the world. And this prophet, this great man of God, is looking at him. He's looking at what he's going to do before God and before man. And then the highlight of this chapter is the nations being brought together before him. And how he's going to reestablish Israel. He's going to bring Israel from the nations and make them one again. And he's going to take the nations and he's going to bring them too. And everybody will be subjected and subject to Jesus. That's what this whole chapter is all about. It's some hard language, but it's actually very simple language when we understand it. And that's what God wants you to do today is that he wants you and I to fix our eyes on the ring of Jesus. Jesus Christ is the upcoming king that Isaiah is looking at. And that's what we're going to see. Let's prepare our hearts to go before the Lord our God. This morning the, the enemy did not want you all to praise God. Everything seemed like it wanted to happen, including fatigue setting in on some of us. But let me tell you, God is still God, no matter how we feel and no matter what happens here, Jesus Christ is still Lord of our lives. Amen? Amen. To God be the glory. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you now in the precious name of your son, Jesus, giving you glory and honor because you're God and God alone. You alone reign supreme in your universe. You alone establish the heavens and the earth. You alone fill the earth with your glory. And then, oh God, you sent your son Jesus here. In spite of the condition of the world, you sent your son Jesus here. And during this time period, you have your servant Isaiah writing about what he's going to be like and what he's going to do. 
This is the Christ child. And Lord, we are to honor him just as Isaiah did in his day. And Isaiah never laid eyes upon Jesus in the flesh. He only saw him in the spirit. And so, Lord, our God, be glorified and glorify your son, Jesus. Watch over your people, Israel, today, Father. They are in desperate need of your help. They're in desperate need of your blessings. They're in desperate need of your presence, most of all. And they need your son, Jesus, to reveal himself to them once again. Oh, God, our God, have your way today. In these United States, Lord, it's a time in which our country is in a state of confusion. It's a time in which our country is divided. It's a time in which our country is far, far away from you, Lord. Amen. We need you, Jesus. We don't need your destructive power, oh God. We need your mercy and your grace. We need your nearness. We need your likeness. We need your kindness. We need your gentleness. And Lord Jesus, we need you here with us, not tomorrow, not tonight, but right now, O oh Lord, we need you. Forgive us for our sins, Lord. Forgive me, forgive my family, forgive their families, forgive our fathers for sinning against you, O oh God. Clean us and purify us, Lord. Not that we're trying to crucify you afresh, Lord. We just recognize our sin before you, God, who's holy. We need you, Lord. We're in a time in which everything goes. If it feels good, do it. But you set your people not to be like the world because you are not of the world. Even though you was here, Jesus, you did not participate in the world's evil deeds. But we have, Lord, and we ask you to forgive us. And then, Lord, oh God, fill us with your spirit. We need your Holy Spirit. We cannot live without him. Have your way, Lord, as you speak to our hearts today, as your prophet speaks into the future, not only to Israel, but to the Gentiles. Have your way as the spirit of the living God speak to us this day. Prepare our hearts and minds to receive. And then know that this one Jesus, the Messiah whom Israel had been looking for, he is still the Messiah. He is still the one that can only bring salvation. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the blessing, the miracle that you did in little Esther Grace life this week. Lord, the wonders of the hand of God upon her life today. And Lord, she's resting well and she's eating and everything is fine with her because you have made it so. And you've given her parents peace and comfort, oh God. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And Father, so many other people, Lord, last night along the parade route began to clap and shout as they seen us coming forth with the true message of Christmas, Jesus. And Lord, we love you and we thank you that you have allowed us to be in your presence in your name. Have your way now as you speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Isaiah, can you imagine standing in this man's shoes? 
And he doesn't know that the future has called the one whom he's looking at the Christmas child. He doesn't know that the streets has been polluted with little red men in outfits, red outfits and reindeer. He doesn't know that we put color boxes under the tree and love those things more than we love him. Isaiah doesn't know these things. All he knows that in his day and time that God is showing him the future king of all the earth. And that king is coming from one of Israel's own, from the house of Jesse. And we will see on Christmas Day when we get there in, in Luke chapter 2 and how the emperor had put out a decree. We will see how the governor of Syria will issue that same decree that a census had to be taken, that all the households of Israel had to be counted. And we will see on Christmas Day how Joseph and Mary both, and it's interesting how both wife and husband are from the tribe of Judah, from the linkage of David. Isn't that something? It's an amazing thing how God will bring all the pieces of the puzzle together. We will see now that the man Isaiah is looking at the house of Jesse. Now let me tell you a little bit about Jesse, just in case you didn't know it. Jesse was a shepherd. His sons were shepherds until Saul had drafted him into the army. His seven oldest sons were soldiers. And his oldest son was absolutely a beast of a man. But his heart wasn't right with God. We see that when God would send the prophet Samuel to select the king from the house of Jesse. And Jesse brought out this brute man, his oldest boy. And he just knew that Samuel was going to choose him, but it wasn't Samuel who was chosen. It was God. Amen. And with all the muscles in the right place and the right physique that make girls salivate, God said, not this one. For man looks on what? The outward appearance, but I look at the heart. I'd imagine that Jesse had his crown jewel ready for the prophet to peak as the next king over Israel. And I can imagine that Jesse at this time maybe was a little disappointed that his champion didn't get chosen. But not only did Jesse's only son was rejected by God, but the next six sons in a row, because all these sons were great, great men in the flesh. Jesse had a strong army in his house. But God said, no, 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 no. But do you have any other sons here? 
Oh, yeah, we got one little Rudy, one little skinny brat. But he's out there watching the sheep. Go get him. Ooh. The prophet Samuel said, we're not going to sit down until he has come. We don't know how far Jesse had to travel or his other sons had to go and get their little brother named David. And when he came up, God said, that's my champion. Amen. <clears throat> and at this time, I can see a little bit of envy going on in those older brothers. Okay, they're brute men, powerful. We would call them today maybe even bodybuilders. Okay, dragon slayers. But they didn't know that God had put among them a giant slayer. Amen. Amen? <laughs> they didn't know that their little brother, chosen by God before the foundation of this world, to be a king over Israel, and that this man is the only man in the recorded history of the Bible that God says, this man is after my own heart. Amen. There little brother. Isn't that something? Anyway, Jesse, God had promised through the kings that there would never cease to be a man to sit upon David's throne. How would that be possible, everybody? How in the world would God continue the royal hood of King David? There's only one way. That king must be able to live forever. They didn't know that God was showing the prophet Isaiah that king. And his name is Jesus. But at that time, it, the name had not been revealed. Simply messages from the Holy Ghost had come forth to the nation of Israel. And the Jews were ecstatic. They knew that the Messiah was going to be this great warrior. They knew that the Messiah was going to reconcile Israel back together again. They knew that under the Messiah leadership that no opposing army would be able to defeat them. Because remember, under King David, God united the entire nation. He brought all 12 tribes together under authority and leadership of King David. And David was a bad boy. And under King David, Israel did not lose a war. All the nations around them feared David. David was something else, boy. And let me tell you, Israel enemies, if they heard that David was marching on them, <laughs> they fled. Because they knew they were going to get a beat down. Amen? Amen? But David, with all his flaws, God still loved him. And God loved this man so much that he said, there would never cease to be a man to sit up on your throne. 
See, David did something so extraordinary that the other kings listed in the Bible in the nation of Israel did not do. David was also a prophet. Did you know that? You read Psalm 16. It talks about the resurrection of Jesus in Psalm 16. You look at Psalms 22, 23, 24, 25, and 26. They're all Messianic Psalms. They're all about the Messiah. Psalms 22, David would see from the Holy Ghost the very words that Jesus would speak while he's hanging on the cross. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? David seen and wrote those words down. And as you continue on throughout those Psalms, there are others in which David prophesied about the Messiah. No other king had ever done that. Why? Because God's spirit entered this young man. When you look at the, 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 the coronation of King David, when Samuel anointed David as king, everybody, it was at that moment that the Holy Ghost entered David. And when David killed Goliath, he was already Holy Ghost filled. Did you know that? Yes, David was already Holy Ghost Failed. Read the scripture. As soon as Samuel poured the oil upon and said the spirit came upon him. So when he faced that giant, he faced it with the anointing of God all in his life. Amen. That young boy. God had molded him from his birth. David was the one who used to please the heart of God. And I'm talking about Jesse's son. Y'all need to understand what God was doing here. David would sit on a tree with a harp and David would write Psalms. We called them S-O-N-G. In Israel, they called them P-S-A-L-M. Okay? And he would take his harp and he would play beautiful to the Lord. You read some of those Psalms and you would go, wow, what a heart for God. And at the top, they would say, David. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And other times, Jesse household, talking about King David. Um, and other times, David would write Psalms and say, get him, God. <laughs> My enemies have me surrounded like dogs. Get him. Okay, Psalms 27, a very powerful psalm of encouragement. David says, when my enemy have surrounded me, you will take and place me up on a high rock. We believe he was at a place called, uh, overlooking a spring called Engedi, right across from the Dead Sea up in those cliffs. When he wrote that, he was up high up on a rock, hiding from King Saul. Remember, when that young man was was anointed king over Israel, he did not take the throne for 20 years. 20 years Saul chased that man around Israel. In fact, it got so bad, David even went inside it with the Philistines for a couple of years. And he was known as the sheriff of uh, Zelik. Read the scriptures. And finally, David pretended to be crazy. When the Philistines said they was coming up against Israel, David acted like a madman. And that Philistine king said, hey, he, David, he's gone mad. Let him go unless he turn on us. 
And they did. They didn't know that David was setting them up. <laughs> Amen. House of Jesse. There shall come forth a rod. What does a rod represent? A rod represents authority. God said, there shall come forth authority from the stem of Jesse. This one that's capitalized rod is going to be the one, not only authority over Israel, but authority over all the earth. And not just of all the earth, the Bible teaches you and I that Jesus will rule and reign over all creation. Amen. When he come, when he comes back again, who's he coming back with? The Bible explains in multiple places. Look at Matthew 24. Look at Revelation 19. You will look and see Jesus coming back with myriads upon myriads upon myriads of angels. And the fourth gospel he even says, often when I appear with the holy angels, that means every angel in heaven is coming back with him. Can you imagine that sight? And they're coming because they're following their king, their God, and their creator. And Isaiah in the spirit is looking at this. It must have been an amazing thing, Mr. David, to be able to have the veil of your eyes removed and you're looking into the spirit realm and you're seeing Jesus. And his glorified state is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I want y'all to get this image too. He's not wearing a white robe coming to preach. He has his war garments on. He's dressed for battle. Are you hearing me? Y'all keep singing, Mary had a little lamb. I can't tell y'all that. Uh -huh. Let me tell you. So there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Otherwise, from the stump of Jesse. That means one of Jesse's descendants. When the house of Jesse exists no more, at this point in time, it has gone into decline. They're coming out of the few that's left. There's still one coming from that house of Jesse. You see that? And a branch shall grow out of his what? Roots. Interesting point here, everybody. Jesus grew up in a town called what was the name of the town that Jesus grew up in? In northern Israel. Nazareth. Guess what the meaning of Nazareth is in Hebrew? Branch. Branch. Isn't that something? How the branch will grow up in the branch. 
And he will use that same imagery of a branch in one of his sermons at the night in which he was betrayed. He's in the upper room with his disciples, and he said, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. An amazing thing, isn't it? And so he is a branch of God that would never wither. He is a branch that came up out of the ground. Look, look what it says here. He is the one that grow out of his roots. In Isaiah 53, he will say that he's that tender plant that came up and that would be cut off. In Isaiah 53, you would see that. But I'm just giving you references. You can go and read them later. But here, it's, it's amazing the man of God is standing there and he's watching all these things happen in the spirit about the Messiah. And he's writing this stuff down. He said, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And that is the greatest joy of all times. The spirit of God is with him. At the announcement of Mary's pregnancy, you remember what the angel Gabriel said to her when she said, how are these things possible since I haven't known a man? And the angel Gabriel said to her, and the spirit of the Lord or the Holy Spirit shall what? Come upon you. And the power of the Almighty shall overshadow you. Whew, man. Man, I could just feel that. And you can sense the presence of the Lord. The man Moses in Exodus chapter 33 told God when they knew that they had to move forward and head to the promised land. Moses knew that they were going to have to move out sooner or later. But Moses recognized one thing, and that's what this passage is telling us. Moses said, unless your presence go with us, we are not going anywhere. Folks, what Isaiah was telling you and I, that through this branch, the presence of the Lord will always be with us. Why? Because the spirit of the Lord is with him. Amen. Are you understanding this today? The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Some teaching said that happened when the Holy Ghost came down on Jesus during his baptism. When the dove came out of heaven and rested upon him. Um, I will say to you that they couldn't be further from the truth. Because he came in the world with the Holy Ghost. Do you recall reading in Luke chapter 1 when Mary went and visited her cousin who? Elizabeth. And when she got near Elizabeth, what happened to the baby in Elizabeth's womb? He leaped and was filled with what? The Holy Ghost in the womb. Why? Because the Holy Ghost in Mary showed up. That's why. If you look in verse 2, you will actually see all the gifts of the Spirit fulfilled in Jesus. 
If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you will see the spiritual gifts listed there. And every one of those spiritual gifts that's listed in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 12 is absolutely embedded in verse 2 of this chapter. Every last one of them. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, had all of the gifts of the Spirit. And not only that, he is the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? Amen? And so it tells us that the first thing is that God's presence is going to be with him. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And other things, and the spirit of wisdom, and it was amazing. If you go back and read your text in Luke chapter 3, you'll find out some amazing things happen. As a matter of fact, you continue down in chapter 2, you will see where Jesus is a boy at the age of what? 12 years old. Passover is over. And where is he? Mom thinks he's ahead of them, a day's journey in front of them, going back to Nazareth with some other family members, right? right? So at their rest break, because they had designated rest spots, it took three or four days to walk back to Nazareth from Jerusalem. And so at the designated resting spot, they go and they look for him, and guess what? No Jesus. And they, they ask their kinsmen, their relatives, they go, he's not with us. And by this time, poor Mary, she's what? Worried out her head. So her and Joseph turn around and travel back a day's journey. How many days it is now? Two. And the Bible tells you and I that when they got to Jerusalem, they spent three days looking for him. How many days now? Total what? Five days. And on the fifth day, guess where they found him? In the temple. And guess what you will see? Young Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords and God's great high priest over his house. He was actually doing his priestly duty while he was 12 years old. And the, the Levites, the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees and the high priest and all them were blown away at what this 12 year old was saying to them. The Bible tells us that they were amazed at his answers and his what? His questions. I guess so. He's the author of the scriptures. How could he not blow you away? He's the ancient of days. He has no beginning and no end. He had a beginning as a human, but not as God. Amen? He knows all things. He knew them better than they knew themselves. And so he's standing there and he's talking to them and Mary says, son, why have you done these things to us? And he said, don't you know I should be about my father's business? And she left him alone. And what could she say? She knew why this child was born. Amen? And so, but I tell seen this 700 years before it happened. The Christmas child. But yet, in our day and time, we don't see this. This is not highlighted. Only thing you see is them ugly reindeer in a red, a little fat man in a red suit. 
And the only thing you hear is a Macy's Parade and Macy's Shopping and Sears and J.C. Penney and everything else. Best Buy and all of them. You don't hear Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I wonder, Lord, what happened? They even don't want you to put Christ in Christmas. Some years back and Miss Marie and Mr. David and Miss Vicky, they can all testify when they took the Christ out of and put X there. Xmas, because they didn't want to say the name of Jesus. Even though the X in Greek gave us the Christos. It's the Greek letter key. But yet, they didn't want to say his name, so they took him out. And now they done took even Xmas out and put holidays. Happy holiday. How in the world did we, the church, allow this foolishness to happen? Because we stood by dormant and we said nothing. We didn't shout from the mountaintop, say, no, you're not going to do this. Even though it wasn't a day that was started by God, it was a day to honor God and his son, Jesus, his birth. But yet, we didn't open our mouths and say anything. We just allowed the culture to come in and change our views. And now, I go, I, I've been in churches. You know what they have on for the Christmas Sunday? message they have Chris Kringle come in a father Christmas come in hang on oh my god oh they want to do a Christmas cantata where all they do is sing and yes the angels sing on the night and he was born absolutely that's glorious we want that but where is the message that the first angel brought before the rest of them showed up and helped them sing? So Isaiah is giving us a message of old about the Messiah. You didn't realize all this was embedded in this, did you? But it's an amazing thing that what God did with this man is he's showing him the ancient of days is laying out for him the future king of Israel. So the spirit of wisdom and you wonder uh, when they tried to trick him up there in Capernaum and said does your teacher, does your master pay taxes? <laughs> he said Peter go to the sea Throw on a hook, and the fish you pull out, open its mouth, it's going to be a coin in him. Bring that to me. Peter beat feet to the Sea of Galilee, threw in his line, pulled a fish out of the water, unhooked it, opened his mouth, and guess what's in his mouth? A coin. Got the coin out of his mouth. If I'd have been Peter. I'd been freaking out by now. Amen. <laughs> Pull the coin out, come back, and he gives it to Jesus. And what's the interesting point is that those idiots stood by waiting for it. <laughs> and he turned to him and he says, 
Whose image is this? And it said Caesar. And he said, whose superscripture is on the other word, the little bit of writing? They say Caesar. And it said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar. But to God, what is God? Woo! Wisdom, the spirit of wisdom. He blew them away. You cannot wit God. And understanding. So many times, folks approached him with lifelong problems. Didn't think that maybe he would understand their situation. I think about the woman that had the issue of blood for 12 long years, and Jesus is passing what? He's passing by. And as always, he has a crowd of people surrounding him. And this woman, being determined to be healed, pressed her way and said, only if I can do what? Touch the hem of his garment. I will be made whole. And that poor sister pressed on. And she touched. And when she touched him, immediately the Bible says her infirmity her blood, her issue of blood was dried up. Yes. Immediately, simultaneously, as the woman was here, Jesus screamed out. He said, who touched me? And Peter looked at him going like, Lord, you what? You got a whole, you got multitudes around you, frowning you, pushing in on you. And you're saying, who touched you? He said, oh, no. He said, this one. He said, I felt virtue. The word virtue is wonder. Wonder is another word for miracle. He felt a miracle go out of him. And he goes, who touched me? And he turned around looking at this poor woman. And she told him about everything that had happened to her. How she spent her lifelong earnings trying to be healed and no earthly doctor could heal her and yet Jesus understood and he said woman your faith has made you whole glory to God so just when you and I don't think Jesus understand he understands man come on now he built the foundation of the world. How could he not understand? He put the human body together. He was the one gathered the dirt. He created the dirt. He blew the breath of life into the dirt. So how could he not understand our infirmities? The writer Hebrew says that in our suffering, the captain of our salvation is made perfect. That means Jesus is perfected even more each time one of us is healed and delivered and wonders and signs and miracles happen to us. Jesus is 
perfected. Isaiah is looking at all this and it's writing and the spirit of wisdom and understanding from God. Who do you think gave the chief scribe of the Bible the ability to write the first five books? The chief scribe of the Bible, at least the first five books, what's his name? Say it again, Junior. Moses. He showed Moses his heart. And he gave Moses the wisdom to write the scriptures. And gave Moses the understanding of the heart of God. The spirit of counsel. Folks, that is the same word that Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. And above that, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray to the father and he will send you another comforter. That same word can be translated as counselor. Other words, we call him the Holy Spirit. So when you don't know how to get yourselves out of your depressive state, when you don't know what to do in certain situations, you can call on Jesus. The great King Jehoshaphat, when the nation of Judah was surrounded by three other nations and a great war was about to ensue, that great man of God, this kingly man of God, began to call on the name of the Lord. And when he realized how great this army was that was coming against Judah, he said, God, are you not our God? He says, who is able to counsel you? <laughs> the chief counselor don't need the counselor. Amen. 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 So Jesus Christ, the great counselor of humanity, knows your heart better than you do. When you say, but Jesus, nobody understand. He said, oh, but there is someone. I understand. Daddies, we like to cry in the midnight hour with nobody watching us. Because you don't want mama to see your manhood broken. Amen? And Jesus says, in the midnight hour, men, when you are crying, and you don't think nobody can comfort you, he said, I will comfort you. Because it's something else when a man's heart get broken. We see women's heart get broken all the time. And us guys with their knight in shining armor go and try to console them and comfort them. But what about the man? You ever seen a man's spirit broken? I know you have, Mr. David, in law enforcement. When a man's spirit gets broken, folks, that is the worst thing you can witness. Because that's when all hope appeared to be what? Gone. 
And that's when people feel like that they're at the end of their ropes. And that's when they think they have to do what? Ended. But Jesus says, no, I am the beginning of your hope. I am not only the beginning, but I'm the middle and the end. The same prophet God would say, I know the end from the beginning. So you see, Jesus, this Messiah, not only will he be able to rule over his people Israel and the Gentiles, but he's able to give wise counselor, counsel to all of us. No matter what culture we come from, no matter what background, no matter what lifestyle, Jesus is able to give us the counsel of God. Amen, somebody. And then not only the spirit of counsel, but the Bible here tells us the spirit of might. And back a couple of chapters, he's called the what? The mighty God, the prince of what? Peace, the everlasting father. And that the government shall be upon his what? Upon his shoulders. You see, Isaiah, I mean, he's seen some good. Chapter 7, he's called Emmanuel. In chapter 9, he's called all kinds of good stuff there. And now we're in chapter 11. And oh, behold, y'all want to count the rest of the chapters in this book? There's a lot of them about him. And so you see now, Deacon, I guess I don't know how far we're going to go today in this. But we're talking about the future Christ child, Mary's little Lamb. Mm -hmm. The spirit of might. That night when the 12 apostles was on the sea and they were rowing and wasn't going anywhere and the ship began to fill with what? With water. All hope appeared to be gone. And the master is laying in the bow of the ship or the boat. What? Sleep. <laughs> Not a worry in his heart. He's sleeping in peace. Amen? But they're afraid for their lives. And finally, one of them got the courage to do what? To wake him up. <laughs> Terrified. Master, we're perishing. Don't you care? He said, oh, you, a little faith. They forgot who was in the boat. Amen? I need not remind you that these men had witnessed the feeding of 5,000 earlier. Amen? And now, this, that night, Deacon, not only will he demonstrate that he's the God and Lord over men, but he will demonstrate that he's God and Lord over all what? Creation. Because when he did what, Deacon? When he spoke, the wind and the sea obeyed him. Might. 
Earlier, Jehoshaphat said, hundreds of years earlier before this, Jehoshaphat said, who's able to withstand you, God? Withstand is another word for fight. Who's able to fight you, God, and overcome you? No one. Uh, ask Joshua about this one who has the spirit of might on him. When he looked across over there on the battlefield of Jericho, and he saw this great distinguished warrior standing there, and Joshua's knees began to buckle. And he cried out, are you for us or our adversary? <laughs> Woo! He never didn't want him on the enemy's side because he knew they were in what? Trouble. But he said, uh-uh. I'm here as the commander of God's army. Cause that's what it said. Other words, the host of the heavenly angels. Folks, if the commander was down there on earth, where do you think the angels were? They was in the spirit world all what? Around him. Hello, are you sensing this? If the commander-in-chief is on the battlefield, where are the soldiers? He said, I'm the commander of a greater army, Joshua, and I just showed up. Otherwise, we just showed up. Hallelujah! <laughs> you know what he told Peter that night in the garden, right? Put up your sword. Shall I not drink this cup? Shall I not call upon my father? And he shall send me what? Twelve legions of angels. Why? Because he is the commander of the armies of heaven. And they would have come at his beckoning call and wiped all of the Roman soldiers out in the twinkling of an eye. But that's not why he came. He didn't come to kill those men. He came to do what to them? To save them. So, look at this. The spirit of counsel and might. Isaiah is looking, Sharon, and he's seeing this amazing thing in this man, his king. And the spirit of knowledge. Now, Mr. David, you're a pretty wise man. You're, you're pretty well diverse in the things of life. Mr. David and I at times have very deep conversations. And, and I admire his world of knowledge. But this one tells you and I that he exceeds, far exceeds the knowledge and wisdom of Solomon. You remember in a dream when God appeared to Solomon and gave him wisdom and knowledge and said, there would not be a man that's wiser than you? 
God didn't put his son in that number. The Messiah would not be numbered among those men. Amen? Let's put it in perspective, ladies and gentlemen. Y'all ready? Do you remember whenever Jesus would go and he's performing a miracle and the Pharisees would show up and with their little sassy mouths? One classic example, you remember the man that they was carrying on the stretcher, the paralytic? His friends, four friends were carrying him. And they led him down through the roof of the house. Do you recall the nastiness of the Pharisees' words? As Jesus began to talk to this man and tell him what was about to happen to him. And the Lord Jesus Christ said to them, what is easy to do? Say that your sins are forgiven, arise and walk. And their minds just went crazy. And before they can verbalize their thoughts, Jesus had already challenged them with their very own thoughts. And throughout the four gospels, you will read a phrase where it would say, and he perceived their thoughts. Other words, he had the spirit of knowledge. The, the spirit of knowledge means that you have prior knowledge about a person, even if they had never told you. That man, the Holy Ghost just said to you, well, that person got, or this person is what? Whatever it is. And Jesus knew, the Bible tells us over and over again, that he knew what was in their hearts. The spirit of knowledge. That's why on the day of judgment, even our thoughts will be judged. Because Jesus knows every human thought. Hmm. You didn't think it was so much listed in here, did you? This, my friends, is the future Messiah of Israel. This is the Christ child. And the word Christ means Messiah. This is the one Isaiah is looking at. This is the description that you're reading about. This is the Christ child. Period. And yet, we want to relegate him down to something so small and simple as Mary's little baby in a manger and keep him there on a day in which we should be exalting him and glorifying his name? Isaiah would have wept bitterly over our behavior. But we don't think nothing of it. We go right along with the norm. And I had, I had some church folks over the years, and including some family members, had the audacity to tell me, if you tell my child that there's no Santa Claus, I'll never forgive you. Whoa, that's deep. Otherwise, you want me as a children's pastor stand up and tell your child a lie when they say, Pastor Sammy, is Santa Claus real? And I tell you that child that that's a make-believe figure, and you're going to say, I will never forgive you for that. You ruined my child's Christmas. No, lady, I didn't ruin your child's Christmas. You ruined your child's Christmas by not telling your child the truth. Amen. 
Nowhere in the Bible it talks about ring there in the Santa Claus. And yet you want to ridicule and persecute me because I told your child the truth? Shame on you. Shame on you. And the same thing applies to the Easter Bunny. Y'all better go send Bo's Bunny down the bunny trail. Tell these kids the truth. Because in the beginning, it was not written as such and is not written as such now. Speak the truth about Christ and Christ alone. Let fairy tales be fairy tales, but you tell them the truth. Amen. And every one of my kids know the truth. And my grandchildren knows the truth. Now you decide how you want to explain to the Christ child who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords whom Isaiah is speaking about right now. You explain to him on that day when we stand before him why you chose to tell your children about a fairy tale rather than telling him about the truth. I choose to tell the truth. So the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. People, that's not a fear that brings terror. He's talking about. It is the fear of love and respect. It's a fear of reverence. It's a fear of obedience. Where Jesus never dishonored his father. Never. I am ashamed to tell you, I have dishonored God with my life. I have dishonored God with my words, and I've dishonored God with my heart. I've dishonored God with my behavior. I've dishonored God in every way imaginable, and I've dishonored Jesus. I, Samuel Nelson, stand here and confess to you, I have dishonored God with my life. But Jesus, the son of the living God, the Messiah, whom Isaiah is writing about, had never, ever dishonored God, his father. Even when the Pharisees wanted him to deny the truth about who he was, he never dishonored his father. Classic example, John chapter 10, as you get down towards the end of that chapter, Jesus is in Jerusalem. Amazing things had happened. He's touched a lot of people's lives like he normally does. They're mad. And they're ready to stone him, deacon. And he says to them, for which of these good works you going to stone me for? And they said to him, for good works, no. We're not going to stone you for healing people and casting out demons and, and doing all kinds of wonders. But we're going to stone you for being a man, saying you're the son of God, making yourself equal with God. For that, we're going to kill you. Ooh. 
He said, so you want to stone me because I told you the truth. I told you the truth and you want to kill me. Other times in the same book, the Gospel of John in chapter 8, he's in Jerusalem once again. In fact, <laughs> chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10 is all about Jerusalem. By the way, just in case you didn't know. And he's in a deadlock heat with them. A great argument is ensuing. And they're talking about how they're Abraham's children. And he says, if you was Abraham's children, you wouldn't be seeking to kill me. You see, because Abraham didn't, he wasn't like this. And then they got very nasty with him. We know who our father is. We're Abraham's children. We were not born of fornication. Do you know what they just said to him? Y'all got that? Yeah, we know what your mama did. That's when Sammy Nelson would say, God slap him right now. <laughs> but Jesus, he got him. But as the confrontation progressed, they got nastier and nastier and nastier. And finally, it got down to the part where Jesus said, Abraham desired to see my day. They're going, what? This man, not even 50 years old. What he's talking about, Abraham desired to see his day. We know he has a demon in him now. Hmm. Do you know what he said to them? What he said next to them blew all of their arguments, all of their claims, all their excuses out of the water. He blew them away with his next statement. Before Abraham was, I am. Yes. He blew them away. What he just told them was the same thing God his father told Moses at the burning bush. I am that I am. He just told them, I am God. Yeah, give him some glory because he's worthy of it. He blew them away. Why? Because the spirit of the fear of God was upon him. He was not going to deny himself. Never. And it's a travesty to how we're denying him today, especially during this time of year. You hear very little mention about Jesus during this time of year. Families, friends, this can change among God's people. We can tell the world the truth that Christmas is a glorified day for Jesus and Jesus alone. Yeah. Not about how much we can give each other. 
And you know it's really bad when children crave things more than they do Jesus. It's a shame when husband and wife crave the things that the other spouse is going to give them more than they do Jesus. It's a sad day. I told the deacons, I said, I hate this time of year. And looked at me, Mr. you and I, we talked about this. I really do. It breaks my heart. Because we go out, and I'm guilty too. I'm not standing here innocent. I'm guilty too. We go out there and we literally spend hundreds and thousands of dollars to give our kids, and yet we won't put one red copper penny in the offering plate, some of us. And I'm not picking on anyone here. I'm just speaking in general. We give more to a fairy tale than we do to the son of the living God. And that's sad. My, 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 where have we turned? And people have the notion to say, you don't love me because you didn't give me anything. Well, folks, the reality of it all is that God loves you. And God, through Jesus, has given you and I everything. For God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever what believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life folks that's everything Jesus is everything that's the only gift we really need is Jesus it's the only gift Isaiah, let me encourage you to look into this passage further. Let me encourage you. Because what's in here, you're going to see the transformed world by Jesus in this chapter. When he talks about the bear and the lion and the the viper, the cobras, the little baby, the leopards, the cows, all of them playing together and not hurting each other. That is the transformed world by Jesus. Because right now all these things, all these creatures are vicious and ferocious. And it's by their nature to destroy one another. But Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, came to give a new nature. The Spirit of God. So you see, I didn't know which way the Holy Ghost was going to go with that message. <laughs> it's a tough one to preach, but not for him. And so... Do go home and very carefully examine this passage. See what God will show you. 
There's some powerful stuff in that chapter. And you ask God to open your heart of understanding and to give you the spirit of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And if you realize those are the same thing that the Apostle Paul wrote about in Ephesians. He prayed, he said, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ will fill you with all wisdom and knowledge and understanding of him and of Jesus. It's powerful. God did not want Israel to be misinformed during their days, so he sent them prophets. Likewise, Jesus don't want the world today to be misinformed. That's why he sent preachers. He sent evangelists, he sent teachers, he sent prophets, apostles. Those things still exist today. Man just say certain ones don't exist. God didn't say that. Understand this blessed book. The Holy Spirit wants you to draw near to Jesus. And this Christmas season, the Spirit of God wants you to understand the true meaning of Christmas. It's not in Macy's. It's not in Walmart. It's not in your checkbook or any other thing that you can give. What the true meaning is, is when you get to share Jesus with somebody. When you get to sit and you get to share the Christ child, because that's what Isaiah was doing. He was writing about the Christ child, him being the adult figure of the world, of the universe, and what he did and what he's going to do, okay? And I, I want to correct my, my phrases there. I want to look, I want you to look at it in all tense of time. Okay? Here. Understand the past of Jesus. Understand the present, what Jesus is doing right now. And understand the future. What Jesus is going to do. Amen? Because that's what this is all about. So I ask you to please be generous and you're giving and give Jesus to someone because that's the gift that God gave to us. Every head bow. Father, we thank you for your living word. Lord Jesus, Forgive us for how we turn a day of celebration about your birth and about God blessing the world with the greatest gift of all, you, into a day of commercialism, a day that's about self, very little about you, if at all. So Lord, by your spirit, help us to go out and proclaim you and tell people that you are the real reason for the Christmas season. Watch over us, O oh God. Be with us and strengthen us in this hour. Watch over your people around the world. And Lord Jesus, you are the head of your church, your body. And we love you. And not only do we love you, but we acknowledge you and we profess you before men as our king. And great is our king. Bless your name. Father, glorify your son. 
And Jesus glorify your Father with the glory that you two had before the world was. And those that are around the world that's going to be listening to this podcast, we ask you now that you place your faith in the Son of the living God, Jesus. He is the Messiah. And if you happen to live in Israel, I will say to you now, don't look any further. The Messiah has already come, and his name is Jesus, the Son of the living God. The very one in which the prophet David, who's king of Israel, spoke about, the one who Moses spoke about, the one who Isaiah spoke about, and Jeremiah and all the other prophets of Israel. And in fact, we will tell you that the first disciples of Jesus were Jews. So look at your own heritage and accept the truth that God sent his son Jesus, born of a woman, the very Virgin Mary, born in Bethlehem there, whom your people hung on a tree. But he died and on the third day, God raised him from the dead. You can go and find the tomb of David and the burial ground of the prophets. But this one, you will not find his bones anywhere. For he's not dead, but he's alive. Go and seek him. Just as the scripture said, so if you don't believe the New Testament, do go to the old and you will see Read there about Baal, in whom the king of Moab wanted to use to curse the children of Israel. And Balaam saw Jesus from afar. He said, I see him, but he's not close. I see him, but he's not near. He's afar off, but he's coming. Believe in the word of God, and you'll believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's the only way in which men could be saved. Father, we thank you now for all that's said and done here today. Watch over us until we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.